Hi everyone, how are you doing? My name's Gareth Duffin and welcome to Know Your Shift, a podcast where we explore the challenges, opportunities and impact of change in all of our lives. Change can be unsettling and often difficult to navigate, but it's also a part of growth and progress. On this show, we'll be talking to experts, business leaders and everyday people about their experiences with change and how they've overcome obstacles to embrace it. Whether you're looking for inspiration, practical tips, or just a fresh perspective on change, we get actionable advice. So let's dive into the world of change, embrace the unknown, and help you to change your direction. Hi Mel, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, we always start with the same first question. So what is the hardest change that's happened to you in your life? Oh goodness me. I was thinking about that question before before we came on air, and there are so many, I think, personally and professionally. But I think one of the biggest ones happened when I was working at a university. I'd been there for a number of years. I was an assistant director and they created a new post, which was going to be a deputy director position. And everyone, including myself, thought I would get the position. My boss at the time said, as so often happens in universities, they had to go out. And that was fine. And I sort of, I I so wanted the position and and I got somebody to help me. And there were so many lessons wrapped up in it. And I'll give you a little bit of the detail and then how that that impacted. So somebody that I had been working with who had been delivering some training coached me through the presentation, etc. Got through the first round really easily. Second round, I went in and I walked out the room and I knew that I hadn't got the job. I just knew it. They offered it to someone else. They didn't, nobody, my boss didn't talk to me about it. Nobody gave me any feedback and they offered it to somebody else that person then turned it down so the vacancy was still there I was heartbroken I mean I was inconsolable and and then I had a choice to make because it was well do I wallow in self-pity and oh this is awful or do I do something about it and somebody came to me and said well the opportunity is still there. Why don't you ask them to give you an opportunity on an interim basis? And so I went to see the director of HR. We had a really honest conversation and and his words stuck with me because he said, it just wasn't you in that room. And I had to agree. So I went in cap in hand and said, look, you haven't got anyone else. Give it to me for six or nine months. Set me all the objectives you want. And if I meet those, then great. And if I don't, then great. Well, not great, but, you know, I'll go back to doing what I was doing. And they agreed, but they were also really good in terms of they put a program of support around that as well. And there were so many lessons that came from that. And I think the biggest thing was that in that, that moment, I lost sight of who I was. So when I was being when I had somebody coaching me around the presentation and what it should be, 
in the end, I went in and delivered what she thought I should deliver rather than what I thought or what I wanted because I wanted it so badly. And, and I put had put this person on a pedestal and it was like, well, you know, that must be right. And actually, I went in there and I, I wasn't me. Um, so that was one of the learnings. But then also it was, I think, realising that I did have the ability to pick myself up. And I think what I did was actually quite brave. But also as a result of that, it was even better because then I got this whole package of support that I would never have got if I'd got the job first time. And of course, I'm I met all the objectives I got on the job. I got the job and then I went on and, and became director as well. But it was a real it was a real learning for me about what do you do when you're faced with with a difficult challenge and actually that importance of being true to yourself. I think that um that authenticity piece is is really important, particularly for you know, people going into interviews for for jobs because you know I'm a big believer in you know, things happen for a reason and you know, if you go in there and you you give the you know the talk and you 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 know you you've got your presentation done like I said and it's not you you're telling them what you think they want to hear rather than what you've actually got to say I think you know you end you can often and didn't happen in your situation, but you can often end up in in the wrong job, can't you? Because uh, yeah. you know you you've sort of aligned yourself incorrectly, and that must have taken you know a lot of people perhaps wouldn't have gone and um, gone back to them and gone to how, speak to that person in HR because of because of their pride. Do you think mm. that must have taken quite a lot? Like you said, quite a lot of bravery and you know, knowing you're not first choice for the job, uh, that must have taken a lot to to swallow your pride and go in and go in and ask. It it really did. And I, I'm not saying that I made that decision lightly. It took me a few days of, of self-reflection in it. And then it was that piece that actually, what is the worst that can happen? I, I've still got my job. I really want this job. I know that it's the right job for me. I know that I didn't do my best. So actually... Pride can be an awful thing. I had to put my pride aside, as you quite rightly say. I really want this job. You haven't got anyone. I know I can do it. Give me the opportunity. But also saying that actually, if it doesn't work out, that that's fine as well. So the the onus was on me. But it was, it was a momentous decision. And actually, as I was reflecting on all the changes that have gone on, it's interesting that that probably happened. Oh my goodness, fifteen years ago. And yet it, it came up as one of those, I suppose, life-determining moments because it it set my career on a particular trajectory. But it was also it the more important lessons came from what I learned about myself and that importance of authenticity, as you say. And um, going back a little bit, you studied hospitality at university. Why did you choose hospitality? Oh... So ever since I was very, very young, first of all, I wanted to become a doctor. Then I decided that I didn't like the sight of blood. So that was a, <laughs> was a no-no. But I really, I've always wanted to work with people. So it just felt like the right path to take. My dad is Greek Cypriot. They are a very hospitable nation. So 
I think that's why I chose it. And and interestingly, if I look at my career, it was working face to face with people. Then it was sort of sales and marketing. So understanding what motivates people. And now, as I sort of progress through my career and what I do in my business now, it's actually about under human beings as human beings. Why do we do what we do? What what impact does that have? Um, so I don't regret doing hospitality. I think if I if I had my life again, I had to, a chance to do it all again. I would do, I would probably do something like psychology. I think. I think I think that's true. I think particularly that you know we'll come on to discussing about you know what you do around leadership. I think you know most of that is is around psychology. I think, isn't it? So um, maybe you've studied it in, uh, in not such an academic way, just through uh, through jobs and through business. Um, so we'll come on to the higher education sector in a moment, but um, just for those of listening that aren't familiar with your, your career in the, in the higher education sector before you, before you started your own business, um, where did you go on to after, after university and, and roles after that? So it, it was an interesting career really, because I finished university and it was in the early nineties. So the recession, so it was really difficult to get a job. I ended up working in a pub in Fleet Street called Ye Old Cheshire Cheese. I was the banqueting manager there. And I'd actually left university with, I had wanted to set up my own business. Um, I wanted to be a wedding organiser. I'm glad I didn't go down that route. So worked at, um, at the pub for a couple of years, then went and worked in hotels, got made redundant. And that again, was one of those crossroads moments where I just thought, you know what, I really don't like the way the sector treats its people. So it was a bit of a, what do I do? I'd started my CIM diploma in marketing, started looking around for for other jobs. And then jobs came up in universities. My dad is an academic, but he's a professor of computer science. One of the happiest people I've ever met has always said that He's never done a job. He's just followed his passion. So I thought, and then suddenly these jobs came up in universities for you know, sort of marketing the facilities for conferences and events. So I thought, mm, that sounds interesting. So off I went and spent some very happy years at the University of Leeds, marketing their, their facilities, um, finished my CAIM diploma, did a master's in marketing, taught part-time, as well but started to miss being back in the south of England London so came back down and then got my job at at Royal Holloway and that for me was was a changing point because I was there for 15 years it was a place where I had the 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 deputy director's uh, position and I went from managing a very very small team of sort of three or four people to eventually becoming director of campus services, responsible 600 people, 21 different business functions, um, had an absolute blast, loved it, loved the people, loved the environment, loved all the personal development I got. It was just wonderful. But I got to that point, um, it was probably around 2012, 2013, we'd done the Olympics, all of those sorts of things. And it was 
what do I do? Do I stay and almost see out my retirement with people that I really like, really nice salary, really nice environment, but not necessarily challenged anymore? Or do I go do something different? So I went and did something different. I went and worked for a tech company for a year, which was not quite <laughs> as I would have hoped. It was a real, it was a real um, test of of my personal integrity because our values just weren't aligned. And at the end of that year, there was a parting of ways, and I had a choice. I could either go and find another job, or I could start my own business. So that's what I did in 2015. I set up Fish Climb Trees, and eight years later, I'm doing what I love. I could never imagine going back and working for somebody else, although I have lots of clients that I work for. And yeah, it's been an absolute blast in everything that happened um, in my time previous in my career. I've been able to bring into the work that I do now, but I'm doing what I absolutely love. Um, So I feel very, very privileged. We're in higher education sector. I'm, I'm sure you've got clients in that sector. Is what what's what's changing in the leadership in the sector at the moment? You know, what's what what are the clients coming to you for in terms of in terms of leadership um, or help with leadership they need in the higher education sector? That's a really interesting question. I think that there is a greater understanding of the need to develop and support people in their leadership role. I think as a sector, especially in the the part that I come from, which is the sort of commercial estates, professional services part, it's almost as if well, you're a really good technician and therefore you can easily make that transition to, to manager level. But actually, often people aren't aren't supported. And I think there's an understanding that people need that leadership and support. I think there is an understanding of how working with people's values is really important as well. And what I've seen since COVID is that the sector worked extremely hard. It was, everyone talks about the NHS and frontline workers, but those people in universities that were doing a similar sort of job were there as well. And, and actually it's now that you're trying, you're seeing sort of signs of, of burnout and people not knowing what to do because they're so busy doing they never get any time to think about where are they they going next so they're the changes that I'm seeing and I'm also seeing that people are understanding that more as well and understanding that actually how do they create balance in their life and that actually balance makes them a better leader And how do we create inclusive environments? How do we get the best out of everybody? So I think those have been shifts 
that I've seen. I mean, certainly when I started in university, there really wasn't anything about equality or diversity or about being authentic and vulnerable. And that that need to look inward in order to be a better leader. We've gone from sort of um, directional leadership to actually much more of a human style of of leadership, which is about understanding who we are as a person, what our values are, and actually how do you inspire and engage people in order to move forward. Might be just my perception, but it feels often that universities are quite slow to change. Would you say that's true? Absolutely. I would 100% agree. And I think that as a sector, it's a really interesting and exciting sector to be part of. And we are developing the next generation and equipping them with the skills. But often what we forget about is how do we equip the people that are there delivering that, creating that experience? How do we support and and develop them and and I really feel that I'm on a mission I, I am on a mission to change the leadership in in higher education because it is a wonderful sector everyone I meet is really dedicated they they want to do a good job but often they aren't given the support and the development in order to be the best version of themselves, which would then enable them to be or to create the best environment for students. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you talk about being on a mission. Like, what? how would you know if that mission's been successful? <laughs> what, what does a perfect higher education leadership environment th- look like? Oh, goodness me. I think... I mean, this is this is big world. I mean, this isn't uh, this is what I would like to see. I would like to see happy teams. I would like to see a move away from the grievance culture, the let let's follow the process, actually putting that to one side and let's just have honest conversations and let's deal with people as human beings and some of that is i think endemic on of the size of the organizations the different people within it and but there's still my hope that you start small and it's that 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 ripple effect so um i'm sure there's people many generations forward that will be still wanting to do what, <laughs> what i'm doing but you know you have to think big you have to think big it's funny you say that. He's, um, you know, there's there's me throwing things out that they're slow to change and and things like that. But people tend to stay in roles at universities for for quite a long time. In a lot of examples, so um, you know, there must be must be some good environments out there. That's that's for certain. Um, one thing I saw recently was that um, by the end of the summer, four of the top univers highest ranking. Four of the five highest ranking universities will be led by a woman by the end of the summer. And it's funny that we actually have to highlight this in 2023 
But I wondered if that was a a shift that you were seeing happening across leadership in institutions, or if it, or if it's just, but in those particular institutions, it it just happened. Oh, what an interesting question! And you might not be expecting the answer I'm <laughs> I'm going to give you here, but in my career and and in my business, I have been asked on occasions to do women only days and 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 development days and actually i have to be honest and say when that happens it i i pull back from it and and i'm not denying that there is probably unconscious bias there's the glass ceiling everybody's seen that but in my career i have never felt that I have been, I have spent most of my career, I mean, bearing in mind it was commercial and, and estates, I have spent many a meeting being the only female in the room. And I, it, I've i never noticed that I have been treated any differently. I've never noticed that my pay has been any different. I've never noticed that I've missed out on promotions. Now, I might just be lucky. And this, my my view may not go down very well with the audience, but this is what, what I believe. And, and I think that everybody, no matter who they are, will have their own challenges to overcome. And actually, it's, you can't often change the situation. All you can do is change your, your response to it. And, and I believe inequality across the board. So for me, I think it's great that, you know, women are getting into these senior positions, but I've never thought that it wasn't possible. And I know that's not really going to be a popular view, um, but it is It is the view that I've had. And, and I have spoken to other women who have said, I definitely felt the glass ceiling I definitely felt that I was discriminated against but I never have and I don't know whether that's my mindset my view or whether I'm just like there's a challenge out there I'm I'm gonna beat it <laughs> no that all makes sense and then um you obviously decided to leave and, and set up your own business now um from reading your book, and we'll come on to your book later, but you talk about that, I think, quite a few times as being a big risk, you know, brave decision to go, which it is. Looking back, was it a huge leap or was that just the next natural step for you? I think, and you've just done the same. So <laughs> I, I, I do think, I think it's an incredibly brave decision to take if you look at how many businesses fail in the first five I mean that the stats are are really really high um I don't think it was the natural next step because it is it is a step into the unknown and you have no security blanket and the way the that I did it. I didn't have any clients lined up. I didn't 
I didn't have any part-time work that I could fall back on. I had a pot of savings and I had an idea that, you know, give me six months and, and, and I'd be there. Oh my goodness. That was so not the case. And I would say to anyone now, if you are starting up on your own, then think about it a little bit more than I did. <laughs> Try and have some clients lined up or or know where you're you're going. Um, because I didn't, and it was a real baptism of fire. And as I say, I would not want to do anything now, anything different now. I love, love, love what I do. I have learned so much. And and two things again, the the big learnings for me are about resilience. So not dissimilar to that deputy director job. In those first few months where I got no's and it was it was financially critical, it was I realized that I would pick myself up. I'd have my moments, I'd be crying into my to my tea or whatever it might be. And I might have 24 hours where I'm like, oh. But then I would always pick myself up and think, I'm going to go again. I'm going to go again. So I think that was something I learned about myself. And I think the other big thing is, um, is that for me, the big one to understand is that your your income goes up and down and you never have that security of a set income every month. And I remember a good friend of mine who'd set up his business a few years before said that his accountant had said to him, no matter how much money you earn, live like a pauper and put it away for a rainy day. Don't live according to what you get that month. So you've you've got sort of Ferrari style month and then you, you've got like a, a mini Cooper <laughs> month, um, that sort of thing. And I, I think that that is so true because it no matter how much I try, it is always peaks and troughs. And, you know, looking back now, having made it through COVID, where a lot of people in my position didn't make it through, I'm extremely proud. But I am still, my business had hit a high just before COVID hit. My business fell off a cliff like you wouldn't believe. And I am still building it back up. Um, so, no, I wouldn't say it was it was a natural progression. It's something I've always wanted to do. I'm so glad I've done it because I've given you sort of the downsides of it, but actually the upsides are is that I've and it's taken me eight years to get there, but I feel that now I'm doing the work that I really love. I I'm able to say no to things now that I would have said yes to back in 2015. Um and it allows me to be there for my family. So it may be that, you know, I need to do something with my daughters, but then it means I'll be up at midnight or I'll be working all over the weekend. Um, it it doesn't matter. Um, and so it gives me a great flexibility. And and I just really, real, really privileged to be able to do what I love. And most of my clients are university clients and and I love them and I feel very, very happy and lucky on those um moments where you had to sort of dig deep and uh you were feeling a little bit overwhelmed um who did you bounce off of you know everybody needs someone to have a have a rant at you know i'm lucky uh 
my wife is the co-founder of our business, albeit, you know, she works in a, in a full-time job most of the time. Um, and I've got a few other people surrounding me in the business that, that help out, but did you have to face that on your own or did you have other people around you that you could bounce ideas off, have a rant to things like that? Absolutely. I think it's really interesting because you build this huge network of people when you're, you're in a business and, and you hope that those people will still be with you when you start your own business. But actually it was amazing that the number of people that ran to the hills, having said that there were people that stuck by me were very supportive of me and I will be eternally grateful for those people. And as I've gone along, I found other people as well. So I feel very fortunate. I don't have a massive network of support, but I get the support that I need. And and also I think that one thing I've realized is that when you are an independent business owner, you have to do everything. Uh, you know, if I think back to my days at Raw Holloway, I had somebody to do everything for me. I was very lucky. Now I'm the marketing director, I'm the finance director, I'm the ops person, I'm the sales person, I'm everything. And but I'm not afraid to invest in myself. So if there is something I want to do, I will go and find somebody to help me. And just like you, I have my own podcast. And there are so many people that start podcasts and then and then they don't succeed. But but actually, I went and got a coach who coached me through the whole process of of setting it up, which is why it's been running for 15 months now. And, and I love it and it's easy to do, but if I hadn't got that support in the beginning, I probably would never have produced an episode or even if I did, I'd have produced one or two and then that would have been, been it. So I think paying for support is, and I need to keep developing and growing because if I'm up talking about leadership, then I need to, be making sure that I'm up to date with the latest thinking and techniques and so on and so forth. So for those listening that don't know what you do and what your business does, how would you describe it? Uh -huh. So it's just gone through a, a, a revamp. 2023 <laughs> has been the year that I, I finally decided to step into my own power and say, this is what I do. This is what I'm good at. This is what I enjoy. So here's what I offer. So it is all about leadership performance in, in higher education, but it comes from the perspective of connecting mind, body and spirit. And it is very much a about the about you as who you are and what that means so it isn't I don't tend to do sort of the very sort of practical that the how you know the skills part of it it is that deep dive journey into who am I what do I want to do how do I bring out the best of me because for me there is not one route to leadership success. It's not a, a you know, 10-step plan that if you tick all of this, you come out at the end and you're this, this most amazing leader because we are all different. So the way that I work with people is enabling them to explore who they are, all their superpowers, all those things that are brilliant about them, but also what are their blind spots? What are those parts of themselves that 
they keep hidden, that they're ashamed of, that they don't want to bring to the fore? And actually, how do they deal with those, get comfortable with those and start to recognize that as human beings, we're all, I say, we're all perfectly imperfect. And and that's fine. But actually, it's recognizing that and it's making the most of that. And it's turning that focus inwards rather than outwards. So who is it that you want to be as a leader? What do you want to be known for? What is your legacy? Not what you think other people want you to be, as you said, people do in interviews. And um, I saw your leadership program takes six months. Do you still get requests to do half a day's leadership training on on an offsite somewhere? Funny enough, no. Because I know the answer would be no, and 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 I think the program that I offer is is quite unique and exceptional value for money. But but the reason why I do it that way, and it's it's been a few years in sort of. There's been numerous iterations of it, but but it blends one to one coaching with group sessions and over a six month period because change doesn't happen overnight and it is taking people on that journey of discovery and where they want to be and it's one of the best things I do I love 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 the program because you get the interactions of a group coming together and they really do support and challenge each other and that's great but then they also get those opportunities to work with me directly about their own learning goals and where they want to go so it it brings those two parts together and and I feel very fortunate because I have seen major shift with everyone that goes through it so that that is lovely and that's not down to me that is down to them and their willingness to get involved to try different things and to have a go Talk to me about sound therapy. I'm intrigued about sound therapy. Oh, so this has been my journey as as I've gone through the the last eight years. So so one of the things that happened in 2015 when when I set up my business was that same year my marriage unfortunately broke down. So it was a really challenging time, really challenging, and I'd been on. Thanks to my time at Royal Holloway, I'd been on my personal development journey since some sort of early, mid 2000s. And I describe it that we have a bucket of tools that 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 we can use, but then it's a continual journey and things happen. Um, and suddenly what helped you in the past is no longer helping you. And that's what happened to me, that everything I had was helping, but it it wasn't helping. So I I began a journey of exploration. One of my really good friends um, helped me. And I started to look much more, so not at at cognitive therapies, but alternative and holistic. And and that's why now, as I said, I work with mind, body and spirit, because actually I'm sure sure you've had it where you've got a problem and you're like in your head and you're like, right, you know, how do I solve this? And problems are never usually solved around the meeting room table. It's actually when you're going for a walk in nature or you're playing with your kids or you're in the shower. 
And and actually what I've learned through the journey that I've been on is that we hold trauma within our bodies. We also have amazing intuition in our bodies. And sound therapy is actually very scientific. It's been around for thousands and thousands of years. And it's just one of the things I've explored. But for me, it's uh, the, the work is unbelievable, the results that I'm having with it. And so if you imagine that as human beings, depending what research you look at, we are made up of about 85% water. And if you imagine a stone being thrown into a pool of water, it creates that ripple effect, but then it calms and it becomes still. And that is what sound therapy does to us. So if you imagine we are the pool of water, when I when I make a sound, that creates the ripple effect, but eventually it brings it brings calmness. So what it does at a very well at a first level, it calms your mind, it calms it calms the nervous system, it creates space. So that gives you an ability to be more focused and clear. But also, I think it works at, and this is just my opinion, I believe it works at a deep cellular level which means that actually it can clear trauma that people maybe aren't willing to speak about. So I have, when I think about my traditional coaching sessions, and I've had a client recently, I've been working with her for a couple of years. She is a very much in your head person. She gets in her head and she talks and she talks and she talks. And my job over the last couple of years is to be get her out of that and and sometimes to feel think about when she's feeling something where does she feel it in her body and when i trained in sound therapy last year i thought right i really really want to to encourage her to give it a go so in our coaching session just last month she was up for it bless her she was she she was like yeah i'll give it a go and she wrote to me afterwards and she's not somebody who is particularly effusive. And she said, I have told everybody I know about this experience and it it created the biggest shift that she had had. You know, and we have had shifts along the way. I'm not saying we haven't, but it it is so interesting. And so it is something that I think. I really, really want to bring it in to the corporate world because it's very much thought of a holistic uh, therapy, something that you do personally, but actually in terms of people's well-being, in terms of helping people clear blocks that perhaps they can't talk about, they don't want to talk about, but they know that are there, it is off the scale off the scale. And I'm just about to, I've been working with a number of clients to track their progress and how it is. And I'm just about to write a LinkedIn article that is talking about the benefits of of sound therapy and how these people have seen it impact what they do at work. So that was a very long way, but you can probably tell I'm hugely passionate about it. And and yeah, it's more powerful than even I thought it was going to be. Is it? Um, do you just practice that one-on-one with clients? That's 
So um, there are a number of ways that I can do it. And of course, me being me, I, I want to push the boundaries of, of where it is. So I was very fortunate earlier in the year, um, ASRA, the student accommodation officers consortium asked me to run a couple of sessions at their conference, but one of them was a sound therapy session, which I thought was incredibly brave of them. It went down incredibly well. Um, and through the people that I have been working with to to get these case studies to 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 you know to understand more. So I've got stories that I can share with people. All of them have said that they want it to continue, but we've been having really interesting conversations about actually for the res life teams, could it work in terms of running a session to help them calm and then be able to talk about some of the issues that that they've dealt with um i also have got somebody that wants to do it as part of a creativity session so combining sort of traditional methods as in you know post-it note sessions where are we going what do we want to do but then giving them a, a group sound therapy session and then seeing once they've had an opportunity to clear and to create some space what ideas, what thoughts do they they come up with? So in some ways, I'm really playing with it at the moment because I believe it is so powerful. It's just getting people to think, oh yeah, I'm 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 gonna try this. Because the idea of, okay, this is work, we're gonna lay down and have virtually a sleepover while somebody plays some some sort of Tibetan bowls and gongs. But actually, honestly, I the results are incredible, off the scale. I look forward to reading the results of that. Um, I'm going to sound like a bit of an idiot now, and not for the first time probably, but kinesiology, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? No, many people don't know what it is. I didn't <laughs> know what it was before, before I practiced it. But again, it is about understanding the our body holds a lot of the answers. So I don't know whether you've ever seen muscle testing. So often people will do muscle testing for different food allergies, etc. So kinesiology is the ability to talk to your body. I'm trained to foundation level. I'm not, I'm not professionally trained in this. I haven't done that, that training yet. But again, it's it's another way of being able to circumvent our mind. Because I think all of my personal development training has been around the unconscious mind. So we have our, our conscious mind that that we it helps us function day to day. But beneath that, we have our unconscious mind and our unconscious mind is almost like our supercomputer. It's where, where the magic happens. So I think when I started my personal development journey, it was like, Oh, the unconscious mind and and it still is the unconscious mind, but it's the unconscious mind and the body. And that is what kinesiology does. So, you know, you may be thinking one thing, but your body will not lie. <laughs> so you may tell me what I want to think, but your body will not lie. <laughs> um and read your book recently when fish climb trees so for people that don't know about when 
fish climb trees. Well, why is that so uh, so useful a concept to think about? Okay. I think one of the best things I ever did in my business was call it fish climb trees. And it comes from the Albert Einstein quote, which he may not have said, but somebody said it, which is, Everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will spend its whole life believing it is stupid. And I think it comes, for me, what I take from that is that our human potential is exponential. And we should never limit people by the job that they do or the environment that they were born into and it's about unlocking that human potential and although we may believe that something is impossible actually that's not always the case and my book and there's soon to be hopefully next year there will be a second edition so it's taking my thinking further and incorporating some of this mind body spirit ideology but it is that idea that actually we are often the person that gets in the way of our own success and how do we remove those blocks and how do we get comfortable with who we are and as I said earlier how do we get to that place where we accept and celebrate the fact that we are perfectly imperfect. One of the things that when I was reading it that struck me was you quoted a study from John Hopkins University that you know, post coronary care patients, so they've had you know heart issues. Ninety percent of them don't change their lifestyle after that. Um, and if we can't get people to to change after after that, how are we ever going to get particularly people in higher education, perhaps, perhaps to change? Um, and you give a set of exercises in the book, and the one I really, really sort of resonated with was the values tree. Um, because you know values is is a big part of what you talk about in the book, and you know, I was be interested to see has anyone ever sent you their completed values tree, or have you ever run that with a with an organisation? Because well, firstly, explain you know, how the values tree works for any for anybody that hasn't read your book. So the values tree is very much about talking about the fact that in business. Our values are, are, the, are the roots of the tree. They they are what give us our foundation. They're what enable the, the sustenance to and the water and all the lovely things that a tree needs to grow comes from, from those roots, which are the values. And actually the profits, the, whatever the goals are, are, is the fruit on the tree. And yet often organizations they don't think about those roots they think they just it's driven by the fruit on on the tree um and actually we need to identify what those values are and and this is my own experience very much influenced by the journey that I went on at Royal Holloway because for me the way that you create long-term sustainable change whatever that might be related to whether it's financial goals or 
engagement or customer satisfaction, whatever it is, actually the best way to do that is through identifying what your goals are as an organization or as a team and then connecting those goals with your own personal goals. And I have done this with organizations that have been on a big change project, but a a fundamental part of my leadership program is getting people to really think about and understand what their values are. Because I think when we are working in alignment with our values, it becomes so much easier. But when we're not, we can feel out of sync and it is it's very difficult. And and actually research shows that students now, it's a different generation now, they are coming out and they are wanting to work in organisations that, that align with their values. And, and I, for me, it was how I delivered sustainable change at Royal Holloway. And it is something that I believe is fundamental. And actually, having just redone my website, if you go onto my website now, you can see my values across there. Because I was I was talking about this all the time. And then I had the feedback, well, what are your values? Well, I talk about them all the time, but they're not there. Whereas now they are there on the front page of my website. Here are my values. And somebody actually said to me recently, actually, it was really lovely to be able to see that and to think about okay, I connect with those or I don't connect with those. And that's fine because it's not about us all having the same values, but it is about finding those those common threads. And it is just, for me, it is a beautiful way to grow and develop a business, which I think is hugely, hugely important for something like the HE sector and the charity sector, where it's not about shareholder profit. It's about creating change in the world. You you mentioned your, your podcast, Dive Deep, Climb High. Why did you decide to start a podcast? This was one of my lockdown brainstorms. <laughs> I'd always said that I would never do a podcast. Happy to be a guest. As you can tell, I love to talk, so that's no problem. But I was like, no, never, 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 never want to do a podcast. And then it was one of those gut instinct things where there, I just woke up one day and it was like, okay, I need to do a podcast. And as I say, I've been reviewing my business this year and I've been looking at what I wanted to keep and what I didn't want to keep. And actually first on the list, well, was my leadership program and my podcast. It is an absolute joy. I love, love talking to people because every time I do, I learn something different. And I wanted to set it up because it feeds into that vision of of being able to support leadership in higher education. I get to learn something, which is great because I love learning. I get to talk to different people. And also, if I'm being really, really truthful, it's a way for me to maintain a social media presence and and be out there because I am really rubbish, being completely honest, at marketing myself and selling myself. So actually having something out there, and this fits with my values, it's about delivering value, giving something back. And it feels like a very comfortable way for me to promote myself, but not promote myself. And actually 
I'm promoting other people. And there's been a lot of people that have come on the podcast that have got work as a result of it. And that just is is joyous. And when I've had people say, I really like that episode or that really resonated for me or I've reached out to that person, it's like, how amazing is that? Do you have a favourite conversation you've had on the podcast? You've been going some time now. Oh, my goodness. I love every conversation I have. That that really is true. But if I had to pick one, if you're going to make me pick one, which I suspect you are, um, I would say my conversation with Jo Berry. Now, she opened... I'm just trying to think back. I'm what are we on now? We're on series five now. She was the opening episode of series four. So you can find her on on my website. But she her father was the MP or one of the people that was killed in the Brighton bombings. And she now so it's the the podcast is about her experience and how she was able to forgive the IRA and and her journey with that and how she uses that now in conflict re- resolution mediation it's just a totally totally inspiring well, it's not a story. It's inspiring life journey. And I was I felt so privileged that she she gave up her time to come and talk to me. Um, so that was probably my favorite. But as I say, I enjoy every conversation. You know, there are people from within the HE sector. There are people from out of it. There are people that have inspired my own leadership journey and Honestly, the the 45 minutes that I'm chatting with somebody, I come off and I'm on a high for the rest of the day because it's just it's just a joy. <laughs> um, time for the quick fire round questions now. So if you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? I would like the world to be a kinder place. And what I mean by this is that if each of us gave just an hour or two or three to helping other people doing something for somebody else my goodness wouldn't the world be a a better place and definitely agree with that um what advice would you give to someone who wants to change their direction but doesn't know where to start okay so i would say stop looking outwards because that's often what we do. We do what everybody else thinks we do. We, you know, parents, partners, the media, whatever, turn turn your focus inwards. Get really comfortable with who you are. Celebrate the fact that, you know, you have all these amazing superpowers, but they're also your blind spots as well, because your blind spots are a great opportunity for you to learn and to grow, but to celebrate who you are as a person, as a whole. And also the final one would be have fun. Don't take yourself too seriously. One of my greatest mottos and anyone that's ever been to one of my sessions will will 
attest to this, is that we always have fun because when we have fun, we we let go. Just think about children. I know you've got two young children and you watch them and you you see their creativity and their wonder at the world and their curiosity. And actually, if we can apply that to ourselves, then what we want will come up. It will it will come through. But when you try too hard, when you're very serious, when it's yeah, life's too short. And what's going to be your next big change? My goodness. Well, I've just moved house <laughs> and really lucky we've got we've got a little bit of land with it. And the most exciting thing when we came to look at the house was that there was a chicken coop. So my next big challenge is to clear the chicken coop and learn how to look after chickens because um the people that were here before they got they rehomed battery hens, and that's my objective as well. So I might not get any eggs, but I will give a good ending to to some hens that really, you know, when they they arrive, apparently they don't, they have no feathers, they don't know how to walk around. So um, yeah, so that is my next big challenge: is learning how to look after chickens. <laughs> and I will be documenting. I thought I'm going to document my 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 journey on Instagram just to give people a little bit of a laugh. <laughs> a chicken vlog. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and lastly, if you were to recommend a guest for me to speak to on the podcast, who would it be? Oh, oh, that's so difficult. Who would it be? Mm. I would probably say Joe Berry because she was just such she was such an inspiration. Um but any one of of my my podcast guests actually because they've 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 all been wonderful. And if you wanted something completely off the wall, my youngest daughter, who is a budding actress and loves to talk even more than her mum. <laughs> uh, that, that definitely sounds some interesting episodes. Um, just wanted to say thanks, Mel, for joining me today. I mean, I enjoyed your book. I listened to some of the episodes of your podcast. I'm working my way through the back catalogue as uh, you've recorded quite a number of episodes. Um, and, you know, I really love the the way that you think about leadership in a bit of a different way, you know, in terms of mind, body, and spirit. You know, it's too. I've been in that that world of leadership where just try and fix everything externally without looking at yourself. So I think uh, people could definitely learn something by uh, by looking a bit more inwards rather than rather than outwards. Um, so, so yeah, thanks very much. Oh no, thank you, Gareth. I mean, you've reading my book, listening to my podcast episodes. Uh, I, I love that you've done so so much research and it's been an absolute joy to chat to you this morning. So thank you very much. Thanks, Mel.